Well, okay, we're going to f- continue on with our series in Philippians, and today we're talking about a life of contentment. Now, I don't know it's you, but we can kind of subtitle this or kind of give you a one-liner. This is about being content in a discontent world. Um, the game of life, if you've ever played it, is not a game of contentment, okay? There is no question that when you begin the game and you start your career, you want to get the career that pays the most money with the most ability to have unlimited raises. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, that's what you want. The gap between the lowest paying jobs in the game of life and the highest paying job is the lowest paying job is like $20,000. The highest paying job is $100,000. And you want the higher paying job. And let's be honest, that's the easier way to win the game. And the only reason to play the game is to win the game. Okay, let's be honest about that. I mean, we're not playing just to play the game. We're playing to win the game. All right? You may not. But I am. Okay? So, and my kids know it. When they win, they really beat me. And I don't care what it is. It could be golf. It could be bowling. I don't care what it is. When they beat me, they've earned it. Because I've never let them win. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) You may not like me now, but that's just the way it is. All right? So, anyway, that's what it is. So, if we play the game of life, I'm going to want to win the game. Now, Part of winning the game is looking for some opportunities to take advantage of some situations. Like, remember I told you there's this one space on the board where you can land on it. And if you land on that space, you get to collect $500,000 because you dug up buried treasure. Now, that's a wonderful place. But if you're not the person that lands on that space, all is not lost. Because if you happen to possess this card, then it gives you the opportunity to play it, and they have to share it with you. How cool is that, right? You didn't do any of the work. You didn't suffer any sweat, blood, or any of those things. You get to take half the money. So when they dug up the buried treasure, they collected the $500,000. They had to give you 250000 of that $500,000. We like it on that side. I hate it on the other side. I mean, I ain't right. See, I'm like, nah, that was my space. That was my stuff. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be cool to have one of those in life? I mean, like in real life? I mean, just think about The Denver Broncos have have reportedly made an offer of $45-plus million over three years to their quarterback, Brock Osweiler. Wouldn't it be fun to play the card? Could you get by on $7.5 million a year for the next three? You know, I think I'd be good after that. I think I could probably live on that 7.5 a year for the next three, probably the rest of my life. It'd be tough. We'd have to make some adjustments. But I think we probably could pull it off. Don't you think that'd be cool? I mean, that would be kind of fun. But that's not the way life works, is it? It isn't. And as we look at this last portion of the book of Philippians, we have to understand that the reason, well, not the reason, but part of enjoying life is being able to understand that our circumstances are our circumstances, and we've got to be content in them. And Paul writes that to the church at Philippi, and he's telling them, look, you need to understand, no matter what's going on, you're going to be content. You need to be content. And as we look one last time at Paul's letter that he wrote, remember that Paul wrote to a church, a people, That was very important to him. 
He loved them dearly because he was responsible for some of them coming to faith and the birth of that church. He has a a direct impact on their lives with the gospel. And so they're very dear to who he is. He left part of himself in Philippi. He, he, He gave up his time and his energies to see people come to faith. And speaking of people come to faith, remember, I just mentioned Easter's a few weeks away. I think every one of us ought to be praying for the people that we're going to invite and bring to Easter Sunday. Wouldn't it be cool to see family members and friends come to faith that day? See, because that's what life is all about. It's all about seeing people come to faith and experience the love of the Savior. Yeah, there's other things we've got to do in our lives. I get that. But the greatest thing that we can do in any realm is to see people experience the transition from death to life. Oh, how cool is that? To, to, to get them going from hopelessness to hope. That would be cool to see that happen. And so I'm asking you to pray, to invite, and to bring some people to Easter. So I've enjoyed this whole thing on the game of life and, and the book of Philippians. And today we're going to finish it up. We've looked at a life of purpose, a life of humility, a life of compassion, a life of hope, a life of joy. And today we finish looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, talking about a life of contentment. One of the difficulties of living in this world is being content. It is so easy to look at what other people have and want it. Many times... That becomes coveting. I mean, think about it. In our culture, it's hard not to want more. I mean, you just have to flip on the television for whatever you want to watch. I don't care what it is, but there's going to be a commercial in there, and every commercial is going to make your life better if you buy that product. From toothpaste to cars, they're all designed to make you discontent with what you currently have or use. They're going to constantly push you to the place where you want something better. (coughs) Sorry, I have... would have been hard for you and me for the next 20 minutes, all right, <laughs> if I don't do that. So I may break here or there and get a drink of water. Um, love this that uh, for some reason I'm struggling once again with something in my head. Um, <laughs> I know you find that funny. <laughs> Always struggling with something in my head. I get it. But when you think about all the things that are out there, Everything's made. I mean, you could have a, a, a new car, like a couple years old, whatever, and all of a sudden, now they've just made one that makes toast in the morning for you, okay? And so you want that. I mean, you know, I mean, you're like driving on the road, it butters it and slides it out, out just below the, the radio, and I don't think that's true, by the way. I just made that up, but it would be nice because some people are running behind, and they need breakfast on the go, and that would be faster than a drive-thru, um, 
So anyway, just whatever it is, there's something. And we're never, in our culture, especially in America, content. And so we're going to look at that. What does it mean to be content in a discontent world? So Paul writes to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. So Paul starts with describing how grateful he is for the concern and care the Philippian people have had for him. He is grateful to God and to them because they care. Now hopefully you know what it's like to have people around you who care for you, who care what's going on. And when you're going through a difficult moment in life, they're there in some form. Maybe not physically, but present. They're they're there somehow, sending notes, making calls, sending texts, whatever it takes to communicate their concern for you. On the flip side, you know what it's like probably to care for others. The the care, care and concern it demands action. So sometimes that action's in the form of encouragement. Other times it also includes financial help. And that's what happens with the Philippian people. They did that for Paul. He isn't trying to diminish the gift that they gave, but he's wanting to understand that he knows what it is to live with little or plenty. He knows what it is to, to be able to be content in whatever the circumstances he finds himself. Think about for just a moment that Paul writes this from a jail cell in difficult situations. And he's saying, I'm content. I don't know about you. I would not be content serving jail time for preaching the gospel in a Roman jail. I wouldn't, that that just doesn't seem right to me. But yet Paul finds ways to, to, no matter what his circumstance is, he's content with it. He can live with it no matter what it is. He says, I know it's like to have plenty. I know it's like to have nothing. I know whether I'm full or no food or or abundant food. It doesn't matter to me. So whatever I find myself, I'm good with it. Paul writes, I know how to live on almost nothing in verse 12 or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul's secret to contentment and to care about the Philippian people because the mutual care is right there. See, Paul's writing a letter because he cares for them. They send gifts to him because they care for Paul. So it's this mutual admiration society. Essentially, they both care for one another. And that's what makes this so powerful. If he had plenty, that's great. If he had nothing, that's great. He knew how to manage life. 
no matter what his circumstances were. And there is a secret to be able to do that. And there's a power in that. And that is in verse 13. Now, we often hear that verse by itself, but that verse is not designed by itself. It's designed to be in the context of what's going on here. And when you begin to see this, you say, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, see, I can't be content in a jail cell in Rome with nothing or even with plenty. But I can with Christ. Through Christ who gives me strength, I can be content. I can't do it on my own. And you have to understand, it takes it on both sides. Whether Paul is in a jail cell or whether he's living in the castle and he's enjoying life and he has people fanning him and plopping grapes in his mouth, which never happened for Paul. But either way, either one of them demands Christ's strength in us because both are deadly to a follower of Jesus. See, because if we get caught up in, I don't have anything, God doesn't care for me, and I'm not content there, there's a problem. But if we have plenty and we forget God, then there's a problem. See, look, the way the gospel thrives is usually not in plenty. Look around the world right now. The place the gospel is growing is not in places where it's nice. When there's freedom and affluence, the gospel becomes less necessary. That's the way people view it. Think about it. I can give you an example. Think 9-11. Twin towers. Planes fly into it. What happens to church attendance immediately? Through the roof. People are attending church left and right. They, they, oh man, we're in trouble. See, when we're in trouble, we run to God. When we're not in trouble, we forget him. And there's both problems. See, if we can't be content with nothing, there's a problem. If we can't be content with something, there's a problem. See, that is the dilemma because sometimes we have, we have a need for God's strength in our lives in both situations. And that tells me we need God's strength in our lives in every situation. And that's what Paul is saying. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Yes, I love it. It's, it's on, on the, the shoes of, of the, you know, Stephen Curry. I love it that he's got Philippians 4.13 on his shoes and it's so cool, right? That's not what it was about. Yes, it's about doing things that God could help us do. I get it. But it was all about Paul telling a church that's going through difficulty, you can do all things through Christ. It's all about Paul saying, man, I'm in difficulty all the time, and I can do all things through Christ. I'm in difficulty, I can do all things through Christ. I'm in good times, I can do all things through Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what's happening here. If I have plenty, I've got to keep from falling into the trap of riches. Because there's a trap there. There's a trap in it. And, and Jesus wrote it in Matthew 19. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is, I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded that who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. 
See, the center focus of everyone's life must be Christ. And if we don't think we need him, we will forget him. We will walk away from him. We'll go every place that we shouldn't be. And life turns all kinds of different directions because we've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten who Jesus is. The key here is not trusting in wealth or even believing that because we have wealth or don't have wealth that God is pleased with us or displeased with us. It's important that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we trust God and we live out our lives in faith. It takes faith to believe God is going to provide in the midst of poverty. It also takes faith to to use what we have been given wisely in times of plenty. Now, we could go on and on about that thing, and we could go through, but I encourage you, look at things like Hebrews 13.5. It was, I would read it, but I think probably I'll move on. It, it's, it's there, Hebrews 13.5 through 8. It's just a great piece for you to, to see that, that the temptation is to forget God in times of plenty. And we're talking about contentment. So Paul continues on to verse 15, and he writes, As you know, You Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifices, acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. But Paul commends the church. He commends the people of Philippi for their kindness, for their gifts, for their generosity. He was extremely appreciative of their gift and their many times they had given. But he communicates he didn't really need it because of his contentment. He didn't really need their gift. And the funny thing is they gave out of their poverty. They gave out of their lack. They gave out of their difficulty. We know that from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia with which Philippi was one of them. They have been tested by many troubles. Remember, troubles, in, troubles outside, troubles inside, they, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. I can testify, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. One of the lessons we can learn from the Philippian people is that our financial support of the church's mission, I mean that huge, like big church mission, is at least important for our own spiritual development as it is for any good that it might do to those that we give to. Look, our giving, our our giving of our resources to others, our giving towards the mission of the church is actually as much benefit 
to our own spiritual development as it is to anything else. God has proven over time. It's, it's borne out in the pages of Scripture, and it's, and it's lived out with, with, you know, throughout church history that God is going to build his church, and nothing's going to stop it. Not resource, you know, disobedience by people or anything. He's going to provide, and he's going to carry on the mission of church no matter what. In times of plenty, in times of poverty, doesn't matter what it is. God's going to build the church, and he's going to do it. And, and you look around the world, and you see that. You see that God is building his church in difficulty, and it's just amazing. Our giving is more for our own spiritual development because it helps us to keep money in its proper place in our lives, knowing that the resources that we have been given are a result of God's provision and not our strength alone. Now, we have to work hard. I get it. And see, here's what, what, what happens is when we think about these, this whole process of, of Philippians, we go to verse four, 19, which again is one of those verses that we hear taken from this chapter. It's an incredible verse. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. But see, this promise, this promise verse, this, this verse of, of promise must be linked with verse 13. And, it, and both verses got to be put together with, with the context of, of the whole thing. God supplies the needs of his people by giving them the resources to cope with hardship, to deal with things. Now, when you think about that, you think I'm just thinking money, and I'm not thinking just money, and I don't think this verse applies just in money. We have to be content in every situation, every circumstance. Verse 19 is not just a promise for financial needs. It is a promise to meet all of our needs. And they're not just financial. See, how many times have we had plenty financially but are going through terrible difficulty in other areas of our lives? Do you want this verse just to mean financial? No. This verse means so much more than that. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And that's the same thing that applies with the context of verse 13, which is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can live in a jail in Rome and under oppression, under a, a dictator, and I can thrive in my relationship with God. I can thrive in my relationship with Jesus because of his strength at work within me, not because of my ability, not because of my strength, but because he is at work in my life and he's enabling me to be content in those times. That's what we all need. We all need that, just like Paul did. But here it is. We need strength for a situation. God will supply it. When we need encouragement, when we're discouraged, God will supply that. When we need to learn contentment in the midst of lean moments, God will supply that. When we need comfort in the times of mourning, God will supply that. Whatever we're going through, God will supply our needs. And his supply for our needs is not dependent upon our faith. It's not dependent on our works. It's not dependent on what status in life we've obtained. It's dependent on his goodness and his power and his glory. It's his 
his grace at work within us, not our grace at work within us. It's his grace within us. It's our ability to be content in all circumstances, our ability to be generous and loving and caring for others in the midst of difficulty that brings with it the promise of my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's the secret of the kingdom. The secret of the kingdom is God isn't doing it because you're doing something great. He's doing it because you've learned to be content and he's going to bless you in the midst of that. That's basically a prayer of Paul to the church at Philippi saying, look, you've been so gracious. You've been so kind. You've cared so deeply for me because you've been so kind, because you've cared so deeply. I'm praying my God will bless you. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. I'm praying that for you because of your great kindness to me. Isn't that the way we function, right? If people do something kind for us, we're like, oh, God bless you. That's exactly what we mean. We mean we're praying God will bless you. We're praying that God will do something great in your life because you've just blessed me and I can't repay it. I don't know how to do it. But, but when you do that for people, when you, when you bring something to them, some kind of care, some kind of love, some encouragement, then when you do that, God is using you to, to, to bring that to them. And they're going to be like, oh, man, that's so kind. You didn't know where I was at or whatever. You don't know. And God's just using that, and he's going to continue doing it. Contentment is all about looking at whatever we are, whatever circumstances we face, and just saying, Lord, I trust you no matter what. I'm going to trust you no matter what I'm going through. See, you've had people around you at times that have probably said the right things. They've sent the right notes, or they've done exactly what you needed to bring you some relief in the midst of, difficult moments. Sometimes it's just flowers on a, sometimes somebody wash a car. I don't know what it is. Somebody mows your lawn. I remember one time we came back from something and it was a number of weeks, like weeks at camp or whatever. And I'm like, oh man, I got to come back. Maybe we came back from vacation one time, came home and I get home and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to mow the yard. And I get there and the yard is mowed. I'm like, sweet. I never found out who did it. Do you know what though? That meant a ton to me. It was like, oh, I, I don't want to do that. And when you think about it, I don't, I'm not saying don't mow my yard. Doesn't need it yet, but don't mow my yard. It's okay. I'm not asking for anything. That's what Paul was trying to say. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just saying thank you. I'm just saying, look, I'm not. I don't need anything because I'm content, and that's where I'm at. I'm content in that part of life. There are places I'm not content, which I think God's okay with. And that is, I don't think there's, there's too many people in our community who don't know Jesus. And, and that's what this is all about. This is all about making Christ known. And that's where we are. Contentment means saying to God, even if you did nothing else for me, then what you've already done, you've done enough. Contentment is saying to God, even if you did nothing else for me than what you've already done, you've done enough. First Timothy 6, verse 6, says, Yeah, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That's Paul's words of instructions to his son in the faith, Timothy. Again, probably very close to the end of his life. Written from a jail cell. Saying, be content. The challenge this morning to all of us is the same as Paul's challenge. Let us all learn to be content 
in whatever our circumstances are. Nothing that we have will matter in light of eternity. Only how we use what we have. He finished his letter this way. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, to all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He writes a letter of love to a church far away in the midst of trouble. He wrote that letter, and God preserved it for you and I, that we could learn. And the same prayer of blessing at the end is what Paul would pray for us today. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Because that's what's going to get us through. It's not our stuff. It's not our goodness and our greatness. It's his grace that's going to get us through. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for all that you've done, all that you've done for us, all that you've accomplished for us. Lord, I pray that every one of us would learn what it means to be content. Lord, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves today, whether our life is the way we want it to be or the way we think it should be, Lord, let us be content with where we are. Lord, to be content and to trust that you are with us, that you're going to walk with us, you're going to order our steps, you're going to accomplish what you want to accomplish in our lives. Lord, I know that means we still work hard, we still do the things we're supposed to do. We should be incredible when it comes to serving others and working in the worlds that we work. But Lord, let us be content and let us learn to live with contentment that we could be content in a discontent world. Lord, help us, I pray. I know that's easier prayed than done. Lord, we need your help. And you've told us you would give it because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And you've promised you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to know that and trust that and live it. In Jesus' name, amen.